Hello and welcome to CBS Radio Mystery Theater from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. The CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... to hear the true story of a heinous crime. It was committed around the turn of the century, not in our country, but on the west coast of England. Bear in mind, however, that our earliest settlers were English and brought here with them their own concepts and institutions and their own attitudes toward crime and its punishment. I tell you, that's Mrs. Hood. She lodged with me for an entire week. Till that night. Uh, Mrs. Redfield, the Metropolitan Police can't find a single trace of anyone by that name. But I knew her for a whole week. She was a widow. She had a brother-in-law who was madly in love with her. For all I know, she was going to meet him that very night. The night she... You saw her that night, did you, Mrs. Redfield? Certainly I saw her. I spoke with her. Little did I know that when she left this house, she was going to her death. Our mystery drama, Last Act, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Elspeth Eric and stars Court Benson and Robert Dryden. I'll be back shortly with Act One. intend to bring you the main events of this shocking tale as it really happened almost a century ago, we have altered the names of its principal characters. One of them a man who went on to enjoy success and celebrity, and two, a man and a woman who died. Here now is the real-life drama titled Last Act. Yes, who is it? It's I, Commissioner. Oh, come in, Miss Cutwell. Mr. McLeod, there's someone outside who wants to see you. Yes, who is it? He says he's Peter Gaunt. Peter Gaunt? You don't mean not Peter Gaunt from London? Well, that's what his card reads. Here, see for yourself, sir. Peter Gaunt, barrister at law. Great Scott. What would he be doing in Yarmouth? Well, I'm sure I don't know, sir. Well, ask him to step inside, Miss Cudworth. Don't keep him waiting. My word, Peter Gaunt. Uh, will you kindly step inside, Mr. Gaunt, sir? Uh, Mr. McLeod will be delighted to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, no interruptions, Miss well, Cudworth. I, I quite understand, sir. I, well, this is an honor, sir. Take this chair, do. I wish I could offer you something more comfortable. This will do nicely, Commissioner. Uh, Assistant Commissioner only. In charge of criminal investigation. The Commissioner, of course, is in London. Here in Yarmouth, I'm I'm a mere assistant. Uh, But what am I saying? You know all that, of course. Uh, And all about London, too. Where you've won such wide acclaim, such distinction, such honor. Now, now, that's enough, Beth. (laughs) And to think it all started here. Think of that. I think of it often. 
Hey, the Barton murder. The murder on the beach. Uh, forgive my inquisitiveness, but what brings you back here to Yarmouth? Well, shall we call it uh, return to the scene of the crime? Oh, but the Barton affair was some years past. I'm sure you've argued much grander cases since the murder on the beach. It so happens that I've just acquired for myself a motor vehicle. Ah, a gas buggy. Mm. You actually bought one of those contraptions? I did indeed. Nothing like it, McLeod. Nothing to compare with it. You don't say it. So, having come into possession of my little beauty, I had a craving to try it out. Ah. To tour in it. See how it would do on a really long run. So I filled the tank to capacity and set out for Yarmouth. Not not in a day. You wouldn't try to make it London to Yarmouth in one day. Oh, hardly, hardly that. I've never tried to do more than a hundred kilometers in a single day. I thought, where shall I take myself in my new motor car? What better place, thought I, than Yarmouth, where everything began for me? Uh, the Barton case. You might say the Barton case launched my career. Uh, we had the devil's own time discovering the identity of the corpse, you know. Well, I was only a lowly inspector in those days, but I really put my back into it. A certain Mrs. Redfield, one of our local landladies, had made a positive identification of the victim. Mrs. Hood, she said. Mrs. Hood had been her lodger for a week before the fatal night. Mrs. Hood. Oh, she lodged with me for an entire week. September the 15th to the 22nd. Mrs. Redfield, the Metropolitan Police can't find a trace of anyone calling herself Mrs. Hood. Oh, that's the name she gave me when she came here to board. Hmm. Did she tell you anything else? Oh, in the course of a week we talked some, Inspector. She came to me on the recommendation of a young lady named Ellen Fields, who'd stopped with me previously on holiday. Ellen Fields, you say? Mm -hmm. And where was Miss Fields from? If I ever knew, I forgot. Pretty thing she was. Uh, this Mrs. Hood, uh, she did tell you something of herself, am I right? Mm -hmm. She was a widow and still grieving for her husband. But at the same time, there was a man wildly in love with her, though she was in no state of mind to consider him because of her husband's recent demise. And did she say who the man was? Who was so wildly enamored of her? Oh, she did indeed. Her brother-in-law. Why, on her very first night in my establishment, she went out and she didn't come back till after midnight. <laughs> she came in a bit tiddly, too. Woke me up to let her in. Said she'd been out with aforementioned brother-in-law. I suppose he'd been trying to console her. Well, I wouldn't actually hold it against the poor thing that she was a bit in the bag. Mm. I, I, I don't, don't suppose she told you the name of her brother-in-law or where he lived? Mm, she never did, and I never asked. All right, Mrs. Redfield. Now, I wonder if you'll show me the room where Mrs. Hood occupied the week she stayed with oh, you. Happy to oblige, Inspector. I've left everything just as it was. I haven't touched a thing. I haven't even entered the room. Now, if you'll just follow me upstairs. 
that room, Mr. Gaunt, we found our first clue. Female clothes bearing a laundry mark. I still remember the number, 599. Yes, that's it, 599. A Wilton laundry came forward to tell us that 599 was the number used to mark the garments of one Margaret Barton. Exit, Mrs. Hood. Yes. But then came the second clue. A photograph of Mrs. Barton taken by a beach photographer a few days before the murder. And most important, the photograph showed the lady wearing a long gold chain with a silver watch on the end of it. Uh, but then, of course, you know all about the chain. I do indeed. But the final positive identification came when I showed the photograph to Mrs. Redfield. Mrs. Hood. That's her beach outfit, and that's her lovely gold chain. I'd know it anywhere. You're certain, Mrs. Redfield? Well, of course I'm certain. She was wearing that very same gold chain the night she left this house, never to return. I remember remarking on it. I said, what a lovely gold chain, Mrs. Hood. Not Mrs. Hood, Mrs. Barton. Not Mrs. Hood. Mrs. Margaret Barton. And she had no brother-in-law. No brother-in-law? And she wasn't a widow. Not a widow. Her husband is very much alive, so far as we know. Mr. Joseph Barton. Now, we'll be picking him up shortly, I expect. The lies people tell. Oh, I swear to you, Inspector, it's downright disheartening. <laughs> didn't locate Barton till early November. <laughs> of all places in Woolton. <laughs> he hadn't gone far, had he? Living in cheap lodgings. But among his few possessions was the long gold chain with a silver watch on the end of it. The gold chain was what really did him in. Ah, eh? don't forget the wig and the false moustache. That never amounted to much. Mrs. Barton was seen in a public house on the night she died in the company of a man with a moustache. Uh, not necessarily her husband. Uh, but he was a cool one, that Barton. The gold chain was lying out in plain sight, though the wig and the moustache were hid away in a drawer. But he never turned a hair when we confronted him with any of them. <laughs> The chain was a gift to my wife, Inspector. I was only a grocer's assistant at the time. It took all my savings to buy it for her. Oh, I worshipped her. She was my teacher, far, far above me in station. But kind, very kind. Uh, your teacher, you say? I, yes, my music teacher. Uh, I worked hard to make her proud of me. <laughs> I had much talent, you see. And I doubt she ever approved my music. But she did approve me. Enough so that when I asked her to be my bride, she took me. Then what? Oh, you know, decent living was hard to come by. <laughs> we tried our hands at various things. You know, once I even went to South Africa to serve against the Boers. But it didn't come to anything, and I came back. Uh, how did you happen to be in possession of the gold chain, the silver watch? Oh, well, she gave them back to me here. Oh, not because she was angry with me. Quite the contrary. Now, <laughs> because things were going badly for me, and Margaret, 
with her good heart, knew that I was up against it, so to speak. Though I never let on to her that I was. No, 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 no. I had too much pride for that. But somehow, she divined my situation. And one night she said, Here, Joseph, you need these more than I do. And she pressed them into my hand. But I... I never used them. Yes. I have a picture here. I'd like you to look at it. Oh? Oh, why, it's Margaret, isn't it? Can you make out what she's wearing around her neck? It's... Uh, well, it's the chain, isn't it? That it is. Ah, well, she was always very fond of it. Do you know when this picture was taken? Huh? No, no. No, not the foggiest. A beach photographer took it a few days before she was murdered. Oh. Well, you don't say. <laughs> well, then, uh, I got my dates wrong, haven't I? <laughs> it would seem so. Yeah, no, it must have been during the summer that she offered it to me. Actually, she offered it to me many times. Oh, many, many times. But it must have been in September that I accepted it. Yes. Yes, I, I think that's how it was. I'm almost certain that's how it was. Barton, you're a liar and a scoundrel. Oh, I don't know why you say that, Inspector. I've told you everything to the best of my recollection. The picture. You said it was taken quite a time before poor Margaret was slain. A few days only. Oh, a few days, a week, a month. The heart of the matter is that it wasn't taken on the day of her death. But she wore it on that day, Barton. We have the word of her landlady, a certain Mrs. Redfield, that she was wearing it the night of September the 22nd when she went out to meet a man. And the man, Barton, we believe to be you. Oh, no. No, 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 not I, Inspector. Sir... You have my word. It was not I. Of course we knew we had him dead to rights, Mr. Gaunt. He came to trial at the old Bailey. I know. Oh, of course you know. It was March of the following year. That's when you entered the case, undertook his defense. And what a brilliant defense it was. <laughs> so many think... I'm often inclined to think so myself. Ah, you have every right to think it. All the same, they hanged him. Hanged him by the neck until dead. Aye, so they did. Poor chap. Oh, forgive me, sir, it's urgent. Uh, yes, Miss Cudworth. Someone's been murdered, sir, on Yarmouth Beach. <laughs> institution of hanging by the neck was introduced into England more than 2,000 years ago. The Britons kept the custom, though by the time this particular execution took place, there was general agreement that, and here I quote, dislocation of the neck is the ideal to be aimed at. This ideal was believed attainable by circling the hanging rope with a metal ring strategically placed behind the victim's left ear. I'll be back shortly with Act Two. Other methods of ending the life of a convicted felon, but the English have remained true to the noose. 
adding later the refinement of a metal ring at a strategic point in the rope to facilitate, if not absolutely ensure, the dislocation of the neck. I have read that in recent times, some English hangmen have taken to whispering to the condemned at the last moment, it won't hurt, it won't hurt a bit. Miss Cudworth, you said Yarmouth Beach... A murder at Yarmouth Beach? Yes, sir. I'm sorry to cut our visit short, Mr. Gaunt. Uh, look here. My automobile is right outside. Let me drive you to Yarmouth Beach. You, you're certain? I'd consider it a privilege. Oh, let's be on our way. Yeah, this will be a great treat for me. For me as well, Inspector. Great Scott! Is that it? Your automobile? <laughs> this is my little beauty. Now, come on, climb up. Uh, there's a small step. Yes, yes, I've got it. My, uh, what are you doing? Cranking her up. You'll see. She'll turn over. Yeah. Not too reliable, eh? Never fear. She'll catch. There, you see? Now, if you'll uh, just let me throw the crank on the floor at your feet... Ah, thank you. Ah, can you move over a little? Oh, certainly. It's quite a contraption. Observe how the floorboards curve up. A new feature. Ah, well, are we ready? Ready? And only slightly apprehensive. My word, this is... Uh, it's exhilarating. We'll be in Yarmouth in gin time. Gaunt... Back at the office, you said something about Barton. I think you said poor chap. Do you mean that? With all my heart, Inspector. But such a grisly murder. A young woman strangled. Yes. Strangled with a mohair shoelace. And the peculiar feature of her shoes. Left one on her right foot. The right shoe on her left foot. Weird. The whole picture. Most weird. But Barton himself, I did not find him weird in the least. Quite the contrary. Uh, are you the gentleman who's going to defend me? Peter Gaunt, barrister at law. At your service, Mr. Barton. Uh, well, can't say as I've ever heard of you, Mr. Gaunt. If you have. There's no reason why it should remain that way, is there? All right, let's sit down together now, and you begin by telling me about yourself. Uh, I didn't kill my wife, Mr. Gaunt. Uh, not so fast. Let's go back a ways. How have you made out in the past? Up to now, in these unhappy circumstances you find yourself in. And don't lie to me, Barton, huh? about anything. Oh, no, no, I have no reason to lie. Have you ever been in trouble with the law before? Oh, never. Uh, you said never. Is that what you said? Never? Uh, well, uh, there was the affair of the violins. Uh, uh, but I was never prosecuted for that. Only questioned and told to desist. Uh, you see, we sold them, Maggie and I. Uh, well, actually, I never sold any. She did. Ah, you had a shop of some sort? Well, not a shop exactly. Well, then how and where did you sell the violins? Uh, well, Maggie, she peddled them, you might say. <laughs> you mean she went door to door selling violins? Who would buy a violin from a peddler at the door? Oh, a great many people, Mr. Gaunt. Oh, you'd be surprised. 
There's more to the story, Barton. Well, the violins weren't... Well, they were precisely new. Actually, they were quite old. And quite useless. Then how in the dickens could she sell them if they were no good? Well, you see, there was a story she told, along with the violin. She said... Her husband just passed away. And this is all he left me, Mum, just his violin. I, I wouldn't part with it for the world, but I've been tossed out of my lodgings and I don't know where I'll sleep tonight. Well, you know the pitch, sir. And they'd buy the violin? Oh, better than that. They'd ask her in and listen to her sorry tale. And, well, by the time she was through, they were crying right along with her and giving her clothes and money. Every touch was worth at least a couple of quid. You know, we cleared four hundred pounds. Till a couple of ladies got to talking and... And uh, the police stepped in. Uh, right, uh. right. If they hadn't, we might still be at it. A real scoundrel. A man constitutionally unable to live within the law. It's a way of life. It's their profession. Recalcitrant children who will not submit to discipline. Children who find an ordered life intolerable, intolerably boring. Is that the way you think of them as children? All children are mischievous. All do things for which they're sure to be punished. Some of these children carry over their childish attitudes into their adult lives. Those are our criminals. But the act of murder, that's more than a simple act of mischief, surely. And hanging, that's a bit more than a simple act of punishment. The last act, wouldn't you say? Oh, four hundred pounds we made out of that little adventure with the violins, Mr. Gaunt. That's too bad we had to give it up. Especially later, with a young one on the way. Oh? You had a child, did you, Barton? Well, it, it would have made her story of the violin so much more, well, poignant, if you catch my meaning. Me with a sprout on the way? Who's to tend it, Mum? Poor fatherless child. Uh, I tell you, we would have salted away a pretty penny. Still... Four hundred pounds, you didn't do too badly. What did you do with the money? Ah, well, we opened up a shop. Absolutely legit. What sort of shop? We entered into the uh, grocery business. All varieties of comestibles. And you prospered, did you? Oh, Lord, yes, yes, yes. And with the birth of our baby daughter, our happiness was ours, Mr. Gaunt. Mm, and what happened to stain this happiness? The shop burnt down. Burnt down, did it? Eh, to the ground. And everything in it. How precisely did that come about? Well, heaven only knows. <laughs> and heaven's not letting on. Eh, pure accident. Must have been, because Maggie and I and the little girl were on vacation in Ireland at the time. You can prove that, can you? Hmm? Or do you expect me to take your word for it? Well, the insurance company did. Paid up, did they? Oh, every farthing. Ah. Now, after the fire, and after the insurance was so promptly paid, huh? 
What did you and your wife do then? I, uh, we opened another shop. Of the same sort? Well, certainly. Our credit was good all over, and before long we were in business as before. Only this time... Yes? This time? What happened this time? Well, this time we seem to have lost the hang of it somehow. Lost the hang of it? Huh? But you'd already run such a shop. You'd been successful at it. Well, let, let's say that it didn't feel right. Uh, not anymore. Just how didn't it feel right? Well, we didn't take to it. Not like before. Why not? I, mean, I don't know, Mr. God. I just don't know. Would you like me to tell you? Why? If you think you know. There wasn't enough excitement in it for you. You... You really think that's why? The day-to-day -day life of an honest worker tends to lack adventure. You know, you could be right. You know, after a time, the whole thing got to be a crushing bore. I couldn't go on with it. So what did you do? I went to South Africa. South Africa? Mm-hmm. Why South Africa? Well, there was a war going on there. Yeah, the boars, you know. You left your wife to tend the store? Well, no. You see, there was no store by then. No store? What had become of it? We sold the stock. There was nothing in it. And what about your creditors? Well, I'm afraid they were left holding the sack. Mm, that's why South Africa seemed such a splendid place to go, eh? Well, yes, 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 that's why. Barton, I have to admire you. How's that? There's a certain deftness in the way you do things. Sir? Cleverness. Ingenuity. Well, I certainly appreciate that, Mr. Gaunt. I think you're worthless. You have no sense of morality whatsoever. But upon my word, in your own shiftless way, you haven't been stupid. Well, I've always managed uh, one way or the other. Yes, by George, you have. Then why, I ask myself, would you assault your own wife on a public beach, strangle her with a mohair shoelace, and put her shoes on backwards? The right on the left foot, the left on the right. Why in the name of heaven would you do that? Oh, I wouldn't. I couldn't. You know, it's all, it's all a terrible mistake. Maybe more terrible than you think now. What will they do to me, Mr. Gaunt? They may very well hang you. H hang me? Hmm. It's a sobering thought, Barton, isn't it? Well, sir, let us concentrate on the evidence, you and I. For I promise you that the prosecutor will give it his undivided attention. And so will the Lord Chief Justice. Well, whatever you say, Mr. Gaunt. Now, first, we have the gold chain and silver watch found in your room. Yes, yes, yes she gave them to me. Mm, and the wig, the false moustache, also found in your room. But I can explain that. Your wife was seen in a public house in the company of a man with a large moustache... On the night she died. Well, there are plenty of men with large mustaches. The landlord of the distillery pub is ready to swear that you and your wife drank there till closing time that fatal Saturday night. <laughs> well, the chain, the watch. Yes, I had them. I was in the pub with Maggie, yes. 
Oh, I walked to the beach with her, yes. I went to London the morning after, yes. But what does it all signify? What does it mean? Did I kill my wife? Strangle her on the beach? Is that what it all means? No. No, it doesn't mean that. And I don't believe you did. Are you saying that you still believe Barton to have been innocent of the killing, Mr. Gaunt? I'm saying precisely that, Inspector. It's not possible, not possible. Uh, we are coming to the end of the Macadam Road. Must be nearing the beach. Are you saying we hanged an innocent man, Mr. Gaunt? That's what I'm saying. Well, impossible. It can't be. Uh, there's the dirt road up ahead. English justice would never permit such a thing. Gaunt, tell me it's not possible. Take your hand off my arm, Inspector. I couldn't bear the thought. This is a narrow road and there's a ditch on either side. Tell me it's not possible. Not anymore. Not today. Now, take your hands away, MacLeod. I can't steer if you persist. I'll never sleep again. Watch I... out. Tell me. Hang on. We're going off the road. If you are interested in the subject of capital punishment, as many are these days, you might read an essay by Cesare Bicaria on crimes and punishments, written in 1764. His view was that the death penalty is more likely to inspire violence than to prevent it. The pros and cons of his thesis continue to this very day. I'll be back shortly with Act Three. Desiree Bicaria, 28 years after the publication of his famous treatise on crimes and punishment, discovered, apparently with some degree of amazement, that the person responsible for a capital crime was not always the one executed for it. He incorporated his finding in another essay he called The Right Man. Now, listen for the conclusion of Last Act. I am sorry, Mr. Gaunt. Terribly sorry. All my forger went off the road. I'm so sorry. Are you all right, Inspector? Yes, all right. Are you? Perfectly. Uh, we could have turned completely over. Yes, yes, but we didn't. We simply went into a ditch. Oh, it's all my fault. All my fault. I'm so sorry. Enough I... of that now. Let's get my gas buggy back on the road. Right you are. Oh, I do hope it's not injured. Well, we'll soon find out. Now, if you'll put your shoulder to the fender on that side, I'll take the other so I can steer. Right you are. Oh, I feel dreadfully about this. Are you set for the big push? I believe so, yes. All right. When I say push, put your back into it. Right. Ready? Push! And there we are. Back on the road. Boy, it really worked, didn't it? We really brought it off. What are you doing there? Fishing for the crank. Oh, yes, yes, the crank. Dear me, I do hope no harm's come to your fine automobile. I'd feel dreadfully unhappy. Oh, here it is. I should never have invited myself along. Nonsense. Go on, hop in. Uh, I should have kept my hands to myself. 
It was just the thought of an innocent man going to the gallows that upset. Uh, is it going to start, do you think? Never fear. We'll turn over. Ah, there. You see? Good as new. Hey, thank the Lord for that. Just uh, shove over a trifle, will you? Uh, yes, yes, that's right. Thank you. <laughs> Everything top hole. Isn't that splendid? Well, I'm terrifically relieved. And I shan't be so unforgivable and careless again, Gaunt. I'm sure you won't. It was the idea that the police, my police force, could have been the instrument of an innocent man's death. I'm afraid I quite lost my composure. I, I, I do apologize. McLeod, you didn't sentence Barton to the gallows. Lord Elverstone, the Chief Justice, did that. All you did was present the evidence. Aye, that's true enough. And a fine job you did of collecting it. All in the line of duty. But perhaps we were hasty. Perhaps if we'd looked further and worked harder, we'd have uncovered more. Mm, undoubtedly. You really think so? No doubt about it. Gaunt, if Barton didn't kill his wife, if you're right and he was innocent... Do you have any notion at all who might have done the foul deed? Oh, yes, I do. I believe it was the work of a sex fiend. A sex fiend? A maniac. Good Lord. Consider the method of killing. Strangulation with a mohair shoelace. Surely a bizarre instrument of murder. Then consider the added quixotic touch. The left shoe on the right foot... And vice versa. Doesn't that suggest irrationality on the part of the murderer? Yet Barton was one of the most rational men I've ever talked with. I'd have no reason to kill my wife, Mr. God. Maggie and I were, well, we were on friendly terms. Of course, the bloom had gone off the rose, you might say, but I won't deny that. The truth of it is, Mr. Gaunt... Uh, I was aiming to set up house with somebody else. Oh, you were, were you? I don't think we'll mention that. Uh, now, there's something we haven't gone into. Your sudden flight to South Africa. Oh, it wasn't a flight. It just seemed prudent to get out of the country because uh, my creditors were making it hot for me. Mm -hmm. And what did you do in South Africa in hmm? the way of making a living? this and that, you know, any piece of work I could pick up, you know. Was spying, spying for the Boers, one of those pieces of work? Oh, you know about that, do you? I know you were sent back here because they suspected you of spying for the Afrikaners. Oh, there was never much to that. How much? Well, you see, when I thought I had a bit of information that might be useful, I turned it over. You see, half the things I told them weren't true. At least I didn't know them to be true. I, I concocted them out of my head. Well, I had to tell them something, didn't I? Oh, they think me no good. Huh, you must have been very convincing. Oh, I was, Mr. Gaunt, I was. When I put my mind to it, I can be very convincing indeed, indeed. Yes, so I've observed. But you were recalled to England. Yes. And can you credit it? I got me a job at the arsenal. 
Well, that's ridiculous. Didn't they know? And they didn't really know anything. See, I was only suspected. And those people, well, they suspect everyone. Yes, there's some reason in your case. Well, yes, some. Not much, but some. Uh, you were dismissed from the Arsenal, I understand. You know, I don't know why that happened. They never told me. For spying, I believe it was. Uh, yes. And when they discharged me, you see, that's when I went out and bought the wig and the mustache. Uh, what a silly thing to do. Why did you do it? Well, I'm a romantic man at heart, Mr. Gaunt. And I had a romantic idea that if I were to be a spy, you know, I would do it in the romantic manner. <laughs> I would invent disguises and develop accents and invent backgrounds. <laughs> See, one doesn't become a really good spy eh, with those methods. Mm, I wouldn't know. Never having had the remotest desire to be a spy. Well, you know, neither did I, strictly speaking. I was simply presented with the opportunity. You see, you have to be in a position to be of value to someone. And when that someone approaches you with a little proposition, well, you know, you accept. Or reject. Well, uh, yes, in my case, I accepted. But when I tried to carry it into the romantic realm, it became absurd. I have too much hair to wear a wig properly. And I wouldn't dream of shaving my head. And the mustache? Well, it was ludicrous. Maggie laughed fit to kill when she saw me. And when was that? Uh, when was... What? That she saw your, your mustache and laughed. Why, uh, why, it was, um... It uh, was... It was the night of September the 22nd, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, thereabouts. Then. Not thereabouts, Mr. Barton. The very night. The night she was killed on Yarmouth Beach. I'm right, am I not? Mrs. Barton was seen that night in a public house in the company of a man with a large moustache. That was you, wasn't it? Uh. I'll tell you the truth, Mr. Gaunt. Well, I'd appreciate it. Well, you see, I asked Maggie to meet me and tell me how she thought I'd make out as a, a real professional spy. Well, after all, I had to make a living for her and the little girl. Well, she threw cold water on that, I can tell you. <laughs> Said I looked a proper fool. Then anyone could tell I was wearing a disguise and not a very good one at that. She hurt my feelings, actually. But... I set great store by her opinion. I always have. So, I went to the gents' washroom, took it off. And then what? What did you do then? Well, we left that public house and we went to another. The distillery pub in Yarmouth. Yes, that's the one. Hey, you know about that. The landlord at the distillery says that you and Mrs. Barton stayed there drinking until closing time. I believe we did. Yes, I believe we did. I was most frightfully depressed at giving up my romantic notions of being a spy. The landlord at the distillery says the two of you set off in the direction of the beach. Well, we may have. Yes, he could be right. The beach was a place of fun memories for Maggie and me. And did you arrive at the beach, you and your wife? Well, we may have. We may have. See, I'm a bit fuzzy about all that. Now, as I told you, <laughs> I was pretty well into the bag by then. And, and I had to go to London the next morning on the 7.30 train. So I uh, checked into a hotel 
and told them to rouse me about six. Which they did. Oh, yes, and a good thing, too, or I'd have slept all day. But you caught the 7.30. Ah, that I did. I wouldn't have missed that train for the world. Why? Well, I told you, Mr. Gaunt, I was planning to set up house with a young girl I'd given my heart to. Ellen Fields was her name. Ellen Fields. The girl Mrs. Redfield said had recommended her place to Margaret Barton. Mm, they were friends, I believe, Inspector. Good friends. Ah, uh, one might even say close friends. He was planning on moving in with his wife's good close friend? Why, the man was a libertine. That he was, Inspector. He was a thoroughgoing rogue, a rascal, a knave. But in my not very humble opinion, no murderer. With the evidence, you have to go by the evidence. Hmm, I suppose so. So I'm more inclined to go by my instincts. Perhaps like Barton, I am too romantic. But Barton was too clever, too sly, too, too sensible to commit such a clumsy murder. Ah, ah, there's the end of the road and the beach beyond. Aye, and there's Officer Capehart, one of our new young bright ones. You see, McLeod, Barton did everything for very practical reasons. Convenience and money. Never for passion, revenge, or lust for power. Uh, Commissioner! Officer Capehart! Uh, may I present you to Mr. Peter Gaunt from London? Uh, Mr. Gaunt, sir, I'm honored. Delighted to make your acquaintance. Now, what do we have here, Capehart? Well, a young woman, sir, strangled. What, here on the beach? That's right, sir, strangled with a shoelace. A mohair shoelace, sir. To choose, say, a, a mohair shoelace? Yes, sir. Strange sort of weapon, wouldn't you say? Strange? Yes. It's, oh, uh, sir, another odd feature. Her shoes. What about her shoes? Well, the left one's on her right foot, and the right one's on her left. Good Lord. Steady, McLeod. You were right about Barton. You were right, Gaunt. This is the same crime, the same method, the same instrument, the same perverse peculiarity. Merciful heaven, we sent an innocent man to the gallows. Well, you didn't do it. Well, who did? Who did this monstrous thing? Men. Mere mortals who took too much upon themselves. Since ancient Greece, there have been those who contended that death as a punishment for murder prevents subsequent murders, a thesis not yet demonstrated. More recently, others have argued that the possibility of human error is reason enough for doing away with capital punishment. And still, the debate goes on. I'll be back shortly. Inevitably, the dialogue you have heard is imaginary. 
our own particular concept of what certain people may have, could have, or must have said to one another. But each and every event is real. Each is a matter of record. The entirely possible human error is real, too. Our cast included Court Benson, Robert Dryden, Carol Titel, and Earl Hammond. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams.